Hello and welcome to Rebounding Faith. I'm Gina Ferrari. I'm Kristen Corona. And I'm Catherine Baer. When walking in faith seems impossible and you can't see the purpose in your pain, we are here to help you find hope in the struggle. Welcome, everyone, to Rebounding Faith. We're so excited to be back with you in this busy month of December. So we're very grateful you all are taking time out of your schedule to join us. I'm Catherine, and I'm here with Gina and Kristen. Yeah, so we're glad. And we have a very special guest today. We have Karen Robinson with us today. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Karen, let me tell you a little bit, just a little bit about Karen. She is a veteran in ministry. She has over 30 years of experience. She has founded and is currently the director of Raven's Hope International, which we're going to talk about today. That is a learning program that offers spiritual growth and biblical studies and leadership development. Uh, some life skills, mission opportunities, really for young women, generally between the ages of 18 and 30 uh, from around the world. And she really has a special calling to Cambodia. So we're going to talk about that. And I love this. Karen believes the wine is in the cluster and not in the grape, and we are better together. And that is absolutely, Mm, could not agree more. Welcome, Karen Robinson to uh, Rebounding Faith. Thank you so much, ladies. I'm so excited about being here. Thank you for the invitation. I want to start, though, Karen, with your identity. And so I I wonder if you could share with us sort of a brief synopsis of your upbringing and uh, really how you came to find uh, your voice and your identity. And that's a broad question. Maybe we could start with your younger years first. Okay, very good. Very good. So I came from a very, a broken family, which probably 99.9% of the world would say so. But I came from a family of 10 children, eight boys and two girls. My parents had eight boys, two girls. I'm number nine out of those 10 kids. I'm number nine. And my dad left when I was two. So he left my mother there raising his kids all by herself. And just growing up in a home where Um, a broken home where your mother was doing the best that she knew to do. We were definitely helped by um, the government. We were in the system, if you'll say, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And we were helped by communities, churches, people around us, but we were struggling. But growing up with so many boys and with a mother just trying to raise 10 kids all by herself, because there was a season in my life between eight to 12 that I was sexually abused. And the strange thing about that, ladies, is my parents have eight boys and two girls, but they wanted two boys and two girls. So they had a boy, a girl, a boy, and then they tried six more times before they got this last girl. They were so determined to get a girl. So when I was born, I was born celebrated. My family, they were looking for a little girl. They were looking for a little sister. So throughout my years from being born to eight years old, I was so excited. I was sure I knew what I wanted to be. I knew what what I wanted to do. But somehow those years between 8 and 12, when I was sexually abused, I began to lose my identity. And you notice as children, we don't really struggle with identity when we're kids because we do ourselves. We dance. We laugh. Our family's saying, sit down. Stop. (laughs) So after being sexually abused, I I lost my identity. And the crazy thing is the feminine girl that I was created to be, little girls, we like being little princes. We like baby dolls. We like girly things, playing with our tea set. 
But somehow at the age of eight and 12, subconsciously, it's almost like I lost my femininity and my identity. And I became a tomboy. And I know subconsciously I was trying to protect myself. Sure. I, in my family, no one caught it because I had eight brothers. So they thought, yes, yeah, she's a tomboy. Mm-hmm. But no, subconsciously, the little girl, the only thing I knew to do was to start dressing like a little boy, acting like a little boy. And all the femininity that I had, I kind of pushed to the side. Yeah, I used that masculinity, that tomboyish characteristic to, to hide myself, to protect myself. And as I did that, the deeper and deeper I went into losing my true identity and who I was created to be to a point that I even lost my voice. And what I mean by that is when people will say, what do you want? I go, nothing. I don't know. I don't care. It went to, I don't know. I don't care. Whatever you think. I had no opinion. I had no thoughts. I have no drive. I lost every joy into joy I had trying to protect the little girl that had been abused. Uh, When did your search for your identity really take hold? When I walked in the church, they had a spirit of God. And they didn't have a bunch of fancy words, but sometimes ladies, they would just say, come in the room. I remember walking in the church and the mothers, the church mothers, 65, 75, 85, they would make comments like, come in the room, God, come in the room. And as a young girl, he didn't just come in the room of that building, but he came in the room with my heart and all the things that I was struggling with, all the things that I was going with, because God came in the room. They had a praying spirit that demanded God to show up for them. And I needed him to show up. I didn't need another game night. I didn't need to be entertained. I needed God to come in the room. And he came in the room with my heart. And you guys, that's when the hunger was stirred like never before. And it's so funny because even at the age of 16, I made up in my mind, walking through my process and my healing and finding my identity, that if I wanted to be anything in life, I wanted to be a mother. And I don't mean a mother to mother kids. I want to be a church mother. Mm-hmm. Someone that help people know who they are, who they were created to be. And that's when transformation really, really start taking place. You know, for our listeners uh, who don't know Karen, you know, she has really gone on in her life to do some incredible things. And I would say in a way that she has honored the calling that God has placed on her life, which she does say that she is called to fortify leaders and empower women to change the world. And she feels very, very clear. And you touched on Karen just now, like becoming a church mother, right? Like helping to uh, really help those girls who need it. And, and I have to say, you've identified it at some point along the way, and you moved into rolling that out and making some big impact, which we'll get into here shortly. Um, but one thing that I, I love that we've, we've had some really interesting conversations and to bring our listeners up to speed on is really about uh, the root, developing roots in our lives and looking at that and what that looks like during times of great trial and pain. And, you know, you, you reference a seed a lot, like we each have a seed and, and can you tell us, like, let's talk a little bit about seeds and how they look differently. Um, Karen and, uh, your take on once you plant them, you know, kind of what that process is, uh, when we're going through, you know, trials and difficulties. Because at the age of 16, I found Christ not my identity. Hmm. And that's going to take us right into staying rooted, allowing Hmm. the seed to be rooted. Because a lot of times, I think as believers, a lot of times we think because we found Christ, we find our identity. 
and our identity is in Christ, but there's many Christians that have lived their spiritual life and this godly life, and they still don't know who they are in him. Mm. So I found God at 16, but I hadn't found my identity. The way I found my identity is that I begin to root myself in God. I begin to stay, begin to get rooted in God. And I don't mean in a church service, but I really mean really getting to know God, building a relationship with God. I needed him to do something. I needed to be free. I, I needed something beyond just a Sunday morning service or a Wednesday Bible study. I needed God. I needed transformation. I needed to know why I'm here, what I was created to do. So you guys, I became so hungry so hungry after God. I began, I began to read his word and to pray. Even to the point there was times where I was reading his word. It made no sense to me, but I read it anyway. Mm -hmm. I heard people say, if you read it, it's going to take root. Mm -hmm. So I began to read his word and nothing happened. I would read his word, but I was determined. And you guys, I remember reading God's word. I had made up, I think I was about 16, 17 years old. And I wanted more than just to know Christ. I wanted to know my identity in Christ. I wanted to know that there's greatness that's down on the inside of me because I knew there was greatness on the inside of me. I didn't want to die with my seed in my pocket, meaning I didn't want to die with the greatness on the inside of me. I wanted to pull my greatness out and I wanted to root it in Christ so it can grow up and it can bloom and it can bring forth. So I started reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible every day. And I remember reading the Bible and not even knowing what I was reading. It didn't make sense. It was kind of frustrating, but I was so determined that mm -hmm. no, something yeah. happened. And somewhere maybe in the third or fourth week of reading the Bible, you guys, that same Bible that I was reading as a teenager that I did not understand, I'm reading that Bible, still didn't understand it in the third or fourth month, but I'm reading it in tears and streaming mm -hmm. down my eyes. Something's happening on the inside. Now I'm reading God's Bible, reading the word of God, and I'm praying, and tears are streaming down my eyes. And I still, I knew something was happening, but I didn't mm -hmm. quite know. So now I'm reading the Bible Something is coming alive on the inside of me. And then I get into week five and six and seven. Then all of a sudden it started making sense. And I remember when I got into about week five, it was almost a fight. Mm. Part of me was saying, keep reading. The other part was saying, it's stupid. You don't even know what you're reading. The other yeah. part, no, no, read it. Something's happening. The other part was like, but it don't make sense. You don't feel anything. Nothing's mm -hmm. changing. That's what I'm telling myself. And I remember in that seven or eight week when things began to change and I began to understand and something was stirred on the inside of me. I knew my seed was being broken. I, I knew I was really being rooted in God. I knew something was taking place within the seed. Mm -hmm. And that's when the breaking of the root and the breaking of the seed and the identity that was down on the inside of me began to take place. It began to bloom. That's when a, a sense of joy, mm -hmm. a sense of hope, a sense of, oh no, there's something I need to be doing. There's something, I, that's when that urgency, it's almost like when the seed began to break and it yields to that moment. That means yielding mean that level of commitment I made to keep doing it, even when it didn't make sense. When it began to crack in that water of God's spirit or whatever we're going to call it, it started going in the seed and the seeds, there was life. Mm. It seemed like life entered the seed and identity began to come forth through the breaking of the sea. Does That's that make sense? so good. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And and actually, I was thinking, Karen, as you were sharing that, it reminded me of the story of the little boy who, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, if you guys have heard this before, but it reminded me of the story of a little boy who uh, was collecting coal in a basket 
in uh, a wicker basket, and his grandmother told him to take the empty basket down to the stream and bring back some water. So he goes down to the stream, he gets the water, and he comes back. By the time he gets to the house, it had leaked out from the wicker basket. It was completely empty. And she said, we'll go try it again. So he goes down there, gets a little water, walks faster this time. By the time he gets back up to the house, it's still gone. So she says, I want you to try it a third time. So he goes down there, dips the basket in the water, gets it. This time he runs back to the house, empty again. And he says, Grandma, I can't do this. Every time I go down there and I I get back up here, it's leaked out. And she said, son, look at the basket. And he looked at the basket and it was like glistening white and pure and clean. And that mm-hmm. is what reading scripture can feel like sometimes. Mm-hmm. You go wow. down there, you get the water, you're not understanding it. You go down, you get the water, it's, you feel like you're making no progress. But actually it's cleaning us from the inside out, just Cleansing. as you're describing. That's what it reminded yeah. me of. Uh, I love that. Well, and it's so relatable just to call out that you didn't understand what you were reading. I don't know Mm -hmm. how many times I read the Bible or I'm sitting in church and the pastor reads the scripture and starts to interpret it. And I'm like, are we reading the same scripture? You got that from yeah. that? Like, yeah. I, I I, need to... What version do you have? I thought I was smarter than this. Yeah. Um, and it's just so real, right? But your point around persevering through that because there was something happening inside of you that said, just keep reading it. It'll start to make sense. You'll start to see that the basket is getting whiter. It's mm-hmm. getting clean. It's cleansing you from the inside out. Um, and I just love that because I think one of the things we we try and really pride ourselves on in this podcast is just being real. Right. And to just call out, I went through four or five weeks of reading this book that was so important to me and I was so desperate and I couldn't understand it. Might as well have been in a different language. Mm-hmm. But you right. kept at it and you kept at it. That real transformation was taking place inside of you. It seems like to me too, Karen, the more committed you became to doing what you knew you were supposed to do and reading that book, the more committed God became to showing you how he was going to, you know, um, make it come to life to you. And all of a sudden you started to slowly understand it, but all along you knew something's happening, something's changing, something's going on, which kept you coming back and drawing you back to it. But I think sometime in just the decision to do the right thing and showing God our commitment to being obedient to what we know we're supposed to do is when he really begins that work in us. That's very good. And identity comes in the consistency mm-hmm. and repetition. That's where identity, because if you think about everything already comes to earth with an identity. In fact, we were born in God's image. He said before we were in our mother's womb, he knew us, meaning I already gave you identity. But a lot of times it's so hard to know the identity of what that's in us because it's still in seed form. Right. It's still form. But when we begin to go through the process, meaning that consistency, and, and the funny thing is to even not to even, if we didn't even want to spiritualize this and we just want to talk about a process, even if you think about a child who may start a peewee sport, you know, they may start soccer. And when they first start, it's just a soccer game. It, it, it's, it's more important to the parent than it is the right, child. Right. But Unfortunately. Can, yeah. Right. Yeah. These <laughs> so, days. Yes. But as they continue to continue, it becomes a part of who they are. And they go from the peewee to the pros. 
And that's kind of like identity. Identity would take you from the peewee to the pros. It'll take you to that place if you stay committed. It brings you to a level of confidence. Confidence come from repetition and confidence come from consistency. So when the seed is consistent in the ground or consistent doing what it was created to do, it gets to a place of maturity or confidence that it begins to square its shoulders. You know, when a seed first blooms, uh, when it first when it first comes forth, or when we first plant maybe a small tree, you have all these sticks and all these wires next to this tree trying to hold it up because mm-hmm. you don't want the wind to blow it. So it's propped up with stuff. But as it begins to grow, it no longer needs the props. It begins okay. to flourish. It begins to grow. And that's kind of like the seed that's on the inside of us. We need the prop of mothers and friends and affirma- I mean, af- affirmations and people mm-hmm. saying things to us. But as we begin to, begin to grow, that that we're so rooted in God or so rooted in what we were created to do. When you begin to bloom, the sticks that was once holding you is no longer necessary. I love, yeah, I love that. You too. had mentioned, Karen, um, and I think this is a good segue when we were prepping for this, that that transformation, that process takes time. And it's human nature for us to get anxious and impatient and rip ourselves out of that because we think we need something different. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Because I think it ties in really nicely with what you're talking about around that seed trying to get stronger. And us maybe getting in the way of that. I think we get in the way because do you know once the seed is completely transformed, it's no longer a seed. Like it loses its complete identity. And a lot of times we're holding on to the old identity because it's it's how we know ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when the identity completely change or begin to change, we go into a panic. Do you realize all the changes that the seed goes through? It starts off with the seed. Then it has to be planted. And then it's broken. It goes from just a regular seed that was outside of dirt, now hidden away in dirt, in loneliness. It's feeling the rain and the mush and the mud and that moment of loneliness of being isolated. But then it breaks. So now now it's broken and it's broken alone. It's one thing to be broken and you have some support system Mm -hmm. of people. But when you're broken alone and then it becomes a root. So now it's no longer is a seed. It's a root. The seed is completely gone. There's no seed. So now I don't even know who I am anymore because it's a root. And then all of a sudden it began to come forth. And even when it come forth, you remember when it went into the dirt, it was a seed. Now it's coming out of the dirt and it's not a seed. Right. So right. now I'm out of the dirt and I'm not even what I used to be. So what do I do with who I am now? And so now it's struggling again with identity. It struggled with identity. It was struggling with identity when it was a seed because it knew it was supposed to be more. But then when it lost the identity of the seed, it was irritated because now I don't know what I am. Mm, right. In fact, I feel like a freak because I'm just rooted. I got all these branches and things going different. And then it blooms. And now it has to figure out its identity on the earth or above the dirt all over again, but in a different form. Mm-hmm. Then it begins to grow. Right. And then it brings fruit. And then even after it brings forth fruit, you know, when you bring forth fruit, you think, wow, I got it. I'm producing. I'm doing great. And then the seasons change. Right. Uh, every- <laughs> <laughs> then you winter comes. It's winter yeah. coming. You- Those oh. fruit drop off the tree and hit the ground. Right. <laughs> you know, I wanted to add to Karen, when you were talking about how the seed looks different and becomes roots, right? And then it, it breaks ground and becomes a plant above ground. Um, it got me thinking about the butterfly, which, of course, is our logo, 
uh, for this podcast. It's a big part of uh, what we believe around here. And part of that is because of the transformation that the butterfly goes through. It starts off as the caterpillar, right? Goes into the chrysalis and re-emerges as a butterfly. And what I love about it are a couple of things. Number one, the butterfly has completely different DNA, than the caterpillar had, which I find fascinating that it goes through that process and reemerges that way. And the other thing is that the butterfly requires itself to struggle to get out of that cocoon. Uh, if it doesn't, then the fluid won't go into the butterfly's wings and it will never fly. So it's because of that struggle of getting out that there's purpose in that. And so I love that because it really is all about the purpose in our pain that God wastes nothing, not even with the butterfly, wastes nothing. And so with the plant, when you talk about the seed being broken and buried and in the dirt, and from that comes purpose, it becomes whether it's roots and who you are and who God is, or whether what it is that you're going to produce once it emerges out of ground. And so, but I love that you point out that there's seasons, because even when you think you've arrived and you're there, you're not there. You're still going to change. You're still going to have trials. So yeah, would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree with that because the thing I think when it comes to trees, as we're talking about a tree, a tree only yields fruit in one season. It mm. only produces in one season and it grows in the other three. But somehow we think we should always be producing. We're always trying to bring forth when it only yields in one season and it grows in the other three. And if we understand that, we'll be okay. And then even after it come forth and it begin to yield fruit, and as it continue to grow, its branches start going all over the place. Mm -hmm. And even as we're talking about identity and as it pertains to my journey, you guys, when the trees start growing up and the branches begin to grow, they start going in different directions from Cambodia to Singapore to, to uh, high profile women, to women that's in a third world country, my branches start going in different directions. And if I didn't understand that it didn't matter, because they were attached to the same tree, I would have started trying to cut off branches mm -hmm. thinking I'm doing too much. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And I think too, just to, uh, I think that the analogy is really good and I want to tie it into like real life examples of what I see women go through, through this struggle. Right. And Karen, we talked about this a little bit, but you can't get to the point where you are blossoming and bearing fruit without the struggle. But when we're in the struggle, I see women, and I, I've done this too, right? So I'm, I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth, but I see women look at around all around them as to what needs to change when they're struggling. I'm not happy. I should be producing all year round. I should be happy all year round. And because I'm not, I need to change my job. I need to get out of my marriage or my relationship. I need to buy more things. I need to, whatever it is, it, it's, it's so easy to focus on the exterior. The real work that's being done is on the interior. And unfortunately, and, and I don't know why it is, but we just don't always go there first. We look externally to see what the cause is of our struggle and we try and fix it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times what we do is we use our natural eyes to see instead of our spiritual eyes to see. Mm. Uh, we use our natural mind 
to feel instead of our spiritual mind, when it said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, we look around at other people. But when you really think about growth and you think about God, do you know everything he created was gradual? Grass grow mm-hmm. gradually. That's Spring true. never pop, just pops up. Babies don't, are, we don't conceive and then bring forth. Everything God created is gradual. We are looking for it suddenly, immediately, and then at once. We're looking for instant gratification. And nothing grows fast for weeds. But mm-hmm. somehow along this Christian journey, we've been taught to expect it now. We say blab it and grab it and name it and claim it. We have all of these things. But no, it is a process. And if it's going to be healthy, and if we're going to grow the way God's way, it's going to be a process. It mm-hmm. literally is a journey. It's a process. Every single thing he created goes through a gradual process. God is a gradual God. Whether we accept that or not, he's a gradual God. And mm-hmm. everything is gradual. I love that. Amen. You That's know, really good. I was just thinking, Karen, you know, you've talked so much and I've listened to um, other talks that you've had about trees and how each one of us are our, our own tree uh, with our own gifts. And and it starts with that seed and then it grows into this root and it does that in the dark and the loneliness. And then when it springs forth and when it comes to you and, and your identity and knowing what kind of tree you are and what fruit you're supposed to produce and what you're supposed to do with that fruit and what that fruit, uh, what the purpose of that fruit is, can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what helped me really identify what I was, was I start, I start being very, a lot of times it, it's the crazy thing because we body, soul, and spirit. But a lot of times we're more in tune with the body and the spirit than we are the soul. Mm. Our soul is what makes us cry, what makes us dream, what makes is what we like, what we don't like. It's our dislike. It's 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 where we're self-conscious. Our 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 body is where we're world conscious, our spirit is where we're God conscious, but our soul is where we're self-conscious. And sometimes we lose our own soulish man. That means we don't get to know who we are. And because we don't get to know who we are, we don't know what we like. Well, I got to a place where I wanted to know what does Karen want and what does Karen like? And the only way I could know Karen was to spend time with Karen and to observe Karen. Like if I wanted to know what you like, I observe you and I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching you. So I had to watch me. That means I had to journal, find out why did you think that? What did you say? And one of the things that I started noticing, I started noticing what I offer, what I kept offering. Who kept coming to my tree or who kept coming and what are they walking away with? So I asked myself the question, who's coming and what are they walking away with? Who's coming and what are they walking away with? And I literally sat down and I took a journal and I went back as far as I can remember, the little girl, and I couldn't make it past five or four, but I started remembering what did people come to Karen for and what did they walk away with? And most of the time when people were broken, when they didn't feel confident, when they didn't know who where they are, when people were talking about them, when they were lonely, those were the people that were coming to my tree. And when they walked away, they always walked away with encouragement. They always walked away feeling bigger. So that helped me identify. So when you want to know what your gift is, the question is, who's coming to your tree and what are they walking away with? Mm, that's really good. Such a simple way to think about what your gift is when it might be, it it seems a little bit um, overwhelming to really think about that. Um, So I wanted to transition a little bit, Karen, because it, it, again, just a great segue into impact, right? So you take the time to really root yourself 
allow yourself to spend the time, be disciplined in the word, really spend time understanding your identity and what your special gifts are, what that fruit is, what are people coming to you for, what are they leaving with. And so you're really talking about impact at that point, right? Mm -hmm. And you have done so much in your life to impact other people. Can you talk about... um, just that transformation for yourself of you being a, in a good place and now wanting to give that to other women. You know what is so funny? As you were talking, I was thinking about the tree as we, we, we're we talking about the tree, how the tree just began to grow up. It just began to grow up. But then when it grew, its branches began to spread, maybe into someone else's yard, over the fence, and someone else's, uh, it, it started to spread. And that was my struggle, even though I knew I was going to make an impact, I thought I was going to make an impact in the yard that I grew in. So the tree grew in the inner city, the tree grew in America, but as it began to grow, its branches start going in different direction. It yield to high profile women, not just inner city women, it yield to women in the third world country, not just American women. So as I stayed planted and the tree began to grow, I thought that I was only supposed to yield my fruit or give my fruit to the yard that I was planted in. But as it began to grow, I branched over into another country. I branched over into different races, different backgrounds. You guys, I'm an inner city girl. I'm a sister from the hood. And all I knew was my sisterhood. All I knew was I knew what black people do. We put grease in our hair, you wash it out. You want some salad, mixed greens, we want some 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 collard greens and mustard greens. You know, we're, we're really, we say we're the same, but we're yet different. And all I knew was my culture and my people and what I knew. And I felt comfortable with that. So when my branches started growing outside in my yard and wanted to make an impact in a different race or make an impact in a different country, at first I wanted to cut those branches off because I didn't know what you knew. I didn't know what the Cambodians knew. I didn't know what other countries knew. And one of the things God had to tell me is, it's not that they know better or you know better. They just know different Mm. and you know different. Mm. And that's when I had to be free to let my branches go where God grew. Where my branches grew, that's where I had to allow them to go. Yes. And the willingness and the surrender, right? Karen has to be a key part of that. Yeah. Absolutely. The obedience part of it, to go where you were growing, you know, and it was not in the comfortable area anymore. It was in something so unfamiliar to you. And yet you, you had to go there and it changed your life. Yeah. So I remember when I was first invited to go to Cambodia, you guys in 2000, I was invited to go to Cambodia. I'm sorry, 2010, I was invited to go to Cambodia and I went with my pastor's wife. Her name is Jill Chambers from Nashville, Tennessee. So I went with her. She was going to Cambodia with other pastor's wives. I'm not a pastor's wife. She was going with other pastor's wives and she's going with all white women. So black folks, you don't necessarily see us on the mission field so much. When I say mission, I'm I'm not talking about loving God's people. I'm talking about just going outside of our country. Mm -hmm. So she wanted to go to Cambodia to go on this mission trip, this organization that rescued girls out of sex trafficking. And I was like, absolutely not. I was like... (laughs) My family is a mission. My yeah. neighborhood, and if I'm going to help someone, I'm going to go help my inner city and help my people. I'm like, there's a mission right here. And God said, Karen, let me put this in perspective for you. He said, let me tell you what I hear you say. 
He said, I hear you say, my kitchen is dirty. Why clean the rest of my house? Oh. Whole world's my house and it all need cleaning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I got on the plane and I went to Cambodia with my friend. Um, and I literally went for a friend. In my mind, I heard God say that, but I'm still going, I'm just going to support a friend. Seven day mission trip. Mission trips are very strategic. They're very intentional. They want you to see what they want you to see. They want you to feel what they want you to feel. So they put us right down the brothel. This organization rescued girls from sex trafficking, five to 17. So they put us right down by the brothel. And when they put us right down by the brothel, you guys, we really couldn't do anything. In Cambodia, you really couldn't do anything. So we couldn't do anything but watch and pray. Mm. Um, everybody was extremely sad. I was, I was not as sad as probably everybody else. Because I've never been third world poor, but I've been American poor. Mm -hmm. I've never been in sex trafficking, but I've been in sexually abused. And I knew I was okay. And I felt like we weren't here to reach everybody, but we're here to reach somebody. So mm -hmm. as I'm in Cambodia, I'm still feeling a sense of hope, even though we're seeing the worst of worst. We're seeing girls, and I'm not exaggerating. You'll see one girl go in a room with two men, or you'll see two girls go in a room with three men. It was just hard to see. It was, mm -hmm. it was a bit much. And in day six of that mission trip, the leader of the organization, she's from Australia. She said, Karen, I have my Australia staff, my American staff, and my Cambodia staff here for a leadership training. Would you stay and do leadership? Well, I'm called to fortify leaders and empower women to change the world. So I was like, absolutely. So I said, yes, I'll stay another week. What I didn't give thought to was that my friend and everybody else the very next day was going to get on a plane and go home. Mm -hmm. so every single person the next day they get on a plane and they go home even the leader of the organization she introduced me to a translator and then she gets on the plane and goes home <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm oh. in this country I want to go to in this third world country in Cambodia um, all by myself with my translator and I'm teaching don't die with your seed in your pocket dreams <laughs> do come true um, there's nothing too hard for God all things are possible to them that believe and my translator looked at me with her broken English and she said, I dream too. Mm. She said, in the modern country, but that won't happen for me. And I'm like, no, all things are possible. You know, that just didn't set well with me. And then one day I'm out eating by the brothel and out of my peripheral vision, I see a young lady and you can tell she was waiting for a gentleman caller. And I asked her if I can eat with her. So we sat down to eat together. And as we were talking, she began to tell me her journey through sex trafficking. But the first thing she said, she said, it's not for love. She was pretty much saying, don't judge me. She said, my mother is sick. My sister is dying. She said, look at all these kids. She said, in your country, I hear that churches help, government help, people help. She said, there's no one to help. Mm -hmm. She said, when I go into the brothel, she said, he pulls me so close. And she said, I cry because it's not for love. She said, I go from hotel room to hotel room and I lie on my back and tears fill my ears. She said, because it's not for love. She said, I dream of dancing and singing. And then the last thing she said to me again, it's not for love. And you guys, now I'm on an airplane and I'm heading home and I'm thinking, Lord, what? What? Yeah. Like, you guys, I'm on a plane all by myself heading home with all this stuff that I've seen in these last seven days. I feel like I experienced more in the last seven days by myself than I did. So I'm on a plane and I'm like, what in the world? I'm trying to keep up all the stuff God is telling me. And God said, Karen, these women are a product of their environment. He said, it's hard for them to dream beyond what they've seen. Mm -hmm. He said, food, clothing, and shelter is perishable. He said, wisdom and knowledge is everlasting. Mm -hmm. He said, I want you to bring them to America. Mm -hmm. 
to empower them, to equip them, to bring, to make, to become agents of change in their country. He said, no, you don't know love in such an inhumane way. He said, but when I died on the cross, that was love in such an inhumane way. Mm. He said, do it for love. And you guys, I hit the ground in Kansas City. I mean, in Nashville, telling everybody, I am getting ready to start Raven's Hope and bring girls from Cambodia to America. <laughs> that is, I love that. Where where did the name Raven's Hope come from? Uh, okay, so true story. <laughs> <laughs> Only truth on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so transparency. You guys, I just didn't, as a believer, I wasn't looking for a name that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, fire. I didn't want anything super spiritual. Mm -hmm. So I was literally in the car with my daughter. I'm like, I need a name, but I don't want it to be Jesus. Like, I just wanted to be simple. Like, I don't know, like Hope, Ravens, Hope. Yeah. And I was like, Ravens, Hope. And then you guys, as I began to search the scripture, as I began to search the scripture, in Job 39 and 41, it says, who provides for the ravens? Mm. So that's our main scripture, who provides for the ravens. But then also I, 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 I read that the raven was the first bird that Noah released. Yes, he released the dog, but the first bird he released was a raven. Oh, interesting. And our girls that were speaking into the lives of their first generation Christians. Wow. And then also a raven who came to feed Elijah. So our mm. ravens, not only are they first-generation Christians, but they're also sent back home to make a difference in their country and to feed their people spiritually. Wow. 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 So I was, yeah, you didn't come up. That's amazing. <laughs> and, and, you know, nothing by coincidence, right? There was mm. definitely purpose in that. Uh, so, Karen, can you share with us some of the impact, like how many Ravens have been a part of your program to date and some impact, uh, yeah, info about that? Yeah, so we have about 600 Ravens in Cambodia. So we have a year-long program. Well, we have a program that goes every year, but every year we open up for orientations where girls can come and go through the, go, can become a Raven, go through the whole year training once a raven, always a raven. So they go through the year training, and once they graduate, they are always a raven, and you continue to go throughout the training. But now, since you've gone through a year training, you can apply to come to America. Okay. So and and is the you... year training, Karen, is that done in Cambodia? Yeah, so we have okay. a year we have training in Cambodia. We have their intensive year training for new ravens in Cambodia. Then we have training for all the ravens that are veterans, that's been ravens for a while. And then every year they can apply to come to America. The new ones that have finished their year and then also the older ones that now feel like, oh, I want to come to America. They apply to come to America. And then when they come to America, we do extended leadership training here. Mm. Here in America, when they're here, they have five days of classes. Well, where they do in the morning, they have biblical studies, English as a second language, leadership training, and then they intern at different businesses and organizations around the United States where they can get skills to go back and be different. So we've had almost a hundred between Ravens and business owners. We had over a hundred Ravens to come to America. Wow. Wow. And then we also have a, we have a marriage. We have a green card. Uh, we can apply for fiance uh, visa. So wow. yeah. Wow. wow. That's so amazing. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking about that, that even just you agreeing to go to Cambodia was a struggle, right? And mm -hmm. it can be so hard when you're trying to figure out how to impact other people because 
what I took away from that is that an opportunity may present itself that seems like it's the last thing you should do. Mm -hmm. And, oh, go ahead. Sorry. You know what is so strange? And not strange, but when I begin to connect the dots and go back, when I was a little girl, my mother used to call me a little Cambodian child. Wow. You know, see, I was looking like a little Cambodian child when I was sitting looking hungry or something during the Pope's regime and uh-huh. doing the war. I always called me a little Cambodian child. And then also my nickname as a little girl was Madam Butterfly. Madam oh. Butterfly, famous person in Asia. So now in Cambodia, as I have partnered with the prime minister and CEO master club and leaders and ravens in Cambodia, I'm I'm Madame Karen, you know, so they call they say mm-hmm. Madame, but Madame Karen. Mm-hmm. So even to connect all the dots and see what God has done, here we are today, you know, where my so yesterday, today, mm-hmm. yeah. tomorrow. I was thinking back to when I first met Catherine and, and Gina, and they started talking to me about doing the podcast. I think it was a little bit of that same thing. Like my kitchen's not clean, meaning like I'm a mess. You guys don't want me to help other women because like I am a hot mess right now. And there was We're that all a hot mess. <laughs> some of that off. same struggle, which I think the reason I share that is because Karen obviously tells this amazing story of literally changing the world, right? Mm-hmm. And and for our listeners, it, it, it could be as simple as impacting one person mm-hmm. or when the Catherines and Ginas in your life come to you and say, do you want to do something different than what you're doing right now? Saying yes, being willing to go down that path that you're really nervous about, you don't feel worthy enough. Um, I know for me, like like I just said, like I'm not the person to be speaking to other women Right. And I don't know if, Karen, on that journey of, of you going to Cambodia, you ever thought, like, I don't think I'm the right person for this. Right. But saying yes and being open to it and, and look what it has led to for you. It's just so amazing. And you know what? That's even when I have an organization called Solomon's Porch, where we speak into the lives of your high profile women, your coaches, wives, your NBA players, wives. And I remember when I first started that. That was probably a that was probably the hardest struggle. Going to Cambodia was a lot easier than me starting Solomon's Porch, because you guys, my husband and I, we were born and raised in Kansas City, in the heart of the inner city. That's all I knew was the heart of the inner city. I knew my people. I knew how to relate with us. I knew what we liked, what we wanted to eat. But when we moved to Nashville, the thing about my husband, when I met my, I call my husband the blackest white man I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big black man, but he was raised in the suburbs. So when I met him, girl from the inner city, when I met him, he was like my mom and my dad. And I'm like, boy, what's up? (laughs) Totally different. But when we got got married, he didn't want to live in the inner city. He didn't know the inner city. So we moved to the suburbs and then we moved to Nashville. And when we moved from Nashville, I went from my all black world to now the predominantly white world or predominantly white neighborhood and I remember starting Solomon's Porch you guys and Solomon's Porch literally started because my husband's a television producer and editor he was working at a local television station in Nashville and the woman uh that one of the online personalities had just lost her husband and she was on the set and she was crying right before the news was getting ready to start she was on the set in the dark and she was crying and my husband saw her crying he said you okay she said no my husband just walked out he said, can I pray for you? She said, please. He said, my wife, he said, if you need anything, she's a good sounding board. If you need anything, 
I'm going to give you my wife's number call. And she called me. She called me and she just literally like just strange lady called me. And we start talking, you guys, I'm talking to this lady. And as I'm talking to her, I didn't know her sister was Oprah's executive producer. So now her sister, Thalia, she tell her sister about me. So now her sister start calling me. And then she started telling other people. Now people are calling me. And now I'm becoming a professional lunch goer. <laughs> be really fat or really broke, but I can't keep <laughs> with everybody. So I heard God say, gather the women, gather these women. And you guys still in my mind, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm thinking of the Bible study. So I used to gather all these women. And I didn't realize that when I was doing one-on-one -on -one with them, it was easy. But when I gathered them, and I'm the only black woman in the room, the only inner city person in the room, it became very intimidating. Mm -hmm. It became very uncomfortable. I felt very awkward. I felt inadequate. Mm -hmm. I felt inadequate just because I felt so different. Mm -hmm. And you guys, I remember teaching those women. And, and we first started off with just small groups teaching, just small groups, just teaching small groups at a house with these television personalities and her friends. She just was inviting her friends. So it was based on who they invited. And I remember telling God, God, I can't do this. You know, because I had never left outside the country by this time. All I knew was what I knew. So they're walking through this big, gigantic house talking about their Venetian walls and their <laughs> fireplace, this lumber that they shipped in from Italy to build this <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, my fabricated dresser. <laughs> <laughs> right. so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, God, I can't do this. And I don't even know why this woman said this, but she said, Karen, she said, do you know what you have can get us what can get you what you have can get you what we have, but what we have can never get us what you have. Wow. She said, no, doing this, we need you to do this. And for a moment, probably for a week or two, that settled it. But then our next meeting came, I was back in that slump again, wasn't feeling confident about who I was. And I'm thinking still, I don't think I can do this. And you guys, I had just taught and they had invited a new lady to be a part of this group. And as they invited this new lady, she was so impressed with the teaching that she said, hey, she said, do you mind um, this evening sometime? Can you come by my house? Uh, she said, stop, just stop by my house for a moment. And in my mind, true story, you guys, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, white women, they so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> just three hours with you. Now you want your own special time. <laughs> just all flesh. But that's what I was thinking. So I said what every woman say when they don't want to do anything. I said, let me check with my husband. Every married <laughs> So she said, okay, well, here's my number and here's my address. Just let me know. So I told my husband she wanted me to come by. He said, well, I think we should, I think we should go see what she wants. So I called her that evening and we went by her house. You guys, and when we pulled up from her house, nice, beautiful house, and she had this red BMW and I, and I was teasing my husband. I was like, so that's what you need to buy me. Yeah. <laughs> He said, when you come, you don't have to come in. And you guys, carnal in the flesh. I don't think she don't even want us to come in her house. Remember, sister from the hood. So all I knew right. was what I knew. So we pull up in front of her house. I call her, um, looking at her red BMW, telling my husband he need to buy me one. She comes out with the keys to that car. <gasps> no. An envelope full of money to insure it for a year and to transfer the tax. She said, nobody have ever, I've never experienced anything like I experienced today. She said, please continue to do it. And that was God saying, Karen, I need you to settle yourself. Mm -hmm. Do what I created you to do. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that it was just such a gift. It was just God reminding me mm -hmm. that no, don't run from this. It is different. 
Don't run from this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm calling you to reach beyond your own backyard. Right. It's interesting to me how with our insecurities, we, we have to get out of our own way because we will die with that seed in our pocket mm -hmm. if we continue to not believe in both what God has allowed us and, and prepped for us to do, as well as trusting in our own abilities and what God has given mm -hmm. us. So anyway, so that is just a solemn, a really good, solid reminder, Karen, that story. So, um, but I know, I know we're closing uh, in where we're out of time, but I want to, before we close this episode, be able to learn a little bit where, where can we direct people to go to learn about Raven's Hope, to learn about Solomon's Porch, and to learn more about you. So you can just simply go to KarenRobinson.com. Mm -hmm. If you go to KarenRobinson.com, or you can go to RavensHopeInternational.com. But if you land at KarenRobinson.com, there is a tab to find Raven's Hope, Solomon's Porch, and to find everything that I do. Great. And people yeah. can invest there if they choose to donate towards yeah. Raven's Hope. Yes, absolutely. And if there's anyone out there, I'll ask you if you would invest, if you would invest in our Ravens. These are young girls that in the country of Cambodia, you guys, the average family makes about $167 a month throughout the country. And by you investing, it allow our girls to come to America. Yes, they go through a program in Cambodia and build relationships. They find their identity, who they are in Christ. But when they get a chance to come to America, they begin to learn outside of their country not because America is better than, simply because America is different than. We empower them and equip them, and then they go back and be agents of change in their country, and they're able to make more money just because of an American experience than they made prior to coming to America. Yeah, that's Beautiful. impact right there, 100%. Anything else that you guys want to add? No, maybe we can put a link to Karen's website on our website. Yeah, 100%. We absolutely will do that. Um, yeah. So Karen, thank you so much for your time today. I want to thank you for saying yes to the call and for sharing your, really your wisdom that you've gained over the years through your experience. And there isn't a time that I spend with Karen that I don't learn something new and today is no exception. So thank you for your time today. And I want to thank everybody at home for joining us and have a rebounding week. Thank you for joining us. Come and join us next week and be sure to like and subscribe to Rebounding Faith.